I don't fucking get it, man. But, you know, like, I don't get shit in yeah, our culture either. You so. and Dave, like, consistently showed each other your testicles for, like, six months and <laughs> also hit each other in the dicks, like, for years. Oh, that's yeah. completely a separate thing. There is a cloth barrier between them, and also, it's really funny. <laughs> No, I'm saying I feel like the Dong Jin is less offensive than the bat wing. I don't okay. know, man. We were consenting adults. Isn't Dong Jin usually kids finger blasting their teachers' buttholes and shit? Uh, yeah. Kids, kids, and other kids. What are you googling, David? <laughs> no. It's kid on <laughs> There are good movies and there are great movies, but that's not what we watch here because this is shitty cinema. Ka-ka! We are four film masochists who love to take on the worst movies we can find, centered around our monthly theme to answer one simple question. Would you watch it again? I'm Jay, and I'm joined by Dave. Howdy. Casey. <laughs> and Juice. I'm the villain. Every week, one of us has to pick a movie based on that month's theme. Juice, what's this month's theme? <laughs> this month, we're all about them Raspberry Berets, baby. Secondhand movies from a shitty fucking store. We are going to torture ourselves. So last week, we watched Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that Michael Bay CGI live action slash bullshit. So, Dave, you were not impressed. You gotta top it this week. What did you bring to outdo Jay? Yeah, Dave, did you do something worse than Horror Turtles? I spent a while looking through the list of Razzie Award winners, and I actually stumbled across a movie that I didn't even realize had won a Razzie, but I've been waiting for an excuse to bring it for a while. From 1991, the movie that killed TriStar Pictures and almost ended Bruce Willis's career before it could <laughs> no. really start, uh, Hudson Hawk. Yeah, it was a movie. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I, it's funny that you say that, Dave, because... When I saw the TriStar logo, I got really nostalgic. I thought, oh, man, I haven't seen a TriStar. What happened right. to that them? fucking horse? Oh, yes. Hudson this is Hawk. what happened to it. Yeah. <laughs> we need an elevator pitch for Hudson Hawk in less than 10 seconds. Dave, you just got out of prison, and what are you craving more than anything? Bacon cheeseburger. Smack. Wrong. You're craving a cappuccino. Oh, and okay. Fortunately, there's one in the ride that picks you up, but then the brakes lock up and you send it spilling everywhere. Damn it. We stop at a bar, but a local mafioso shoots your cup with a silenced pistol. <laughs> so finally, fed up, you decide you're going to do it yourself. But the machine is old, it's steampunky, and when you start using it, sparks start flying. In the 10 seconds before it explodes, sell us on this movie. Bruce Willis cooks up a fanfic to his own song. One part Da Vinci Code, one part Pink Panther, seasoned with lounge music and a dash of Salvador Dali, then serve flambe in a medium-sized dumpster. Nine seconds. Wow. wow. Dave, you, that was beautiful. I'm going to be yeah, honest. Yeah. That was very accurate. Wow. Good that on might you. Be, that might be one of the best all-time elevator pitches here at Shitty Cinema. I, I have to say, I don't think we need to talk about this anymore. You, you kind of got it. Let's go home, guys. It's a mini-sode, well, guys. Bye. 
Casey, as I'm attempting to make this cappuccino, you're actually in the bar as well that night, and you realize that what I've mistaken for a steampunk cappuccino machine is actually your very expensive custom combination gravity bong and hookah. Oh, my God. I thought I got rid of all the college kids. Yeah. Uh, I've got the pressure settings all wrong on this thing. You're rushing over to save the day. Unfortunately, you're not going to make it there in time. So in the 10 seconds before this explodes over the both of us, sell us on this movie. You know that annoying kid in school who get beat up for assuming the identity of a movie character and constantly quote them? Yeah, he made a heist movie, and it's insufferable as you'd imagine. Nine, Nine seconds. seconds as well. Wow. Wow. If me and this movie were both in second grade, I'd slap the shit out of it. I'm just Casey, saying. That, I can that get away like with it. That seems like a once. really hostile elevator pitch. You know what? I have no regrets. Dave, in light of Casey's hostility, why don't you walk us through the movie that Shitty Cinema watched? I feel like we've set some high expectations, but I'm going to do my best here. Hudson Hawk is the story of a master thief played by Bruce Willis. So Hudson was the world's greatest cat burglar, and he and his partner Tommy Five Tones would sing lounge music to time out their crimes. Apparently watches are just really expensive in this timeline or something. After 10 years in prison, Hudson's been released, and all he wants is a damn cappuccino. Because 1991 thinks it's really funny that big man Bruce Willis wants such a frou-frou drink. Yeah, they mm -hmm. spent a lot of time in the beginning pointing that out. Yeah. Despite Hudson's best intentions, he finds himself embroiled in the affairs of mobsters, the Mario Brothers. The Mario Brothers force Hudson and Tommy to steal a statue of a horsey made by Leonardo da Vinci from a local auction house. Don't call it a horsey. It's a horsey. <laughs> yeah, I think it works. Somehow the security guards don't hear Bruce Willis's bad cover of being Crosby, and with Tommy's help, they pull off the caper. Delivering the loot, Hudson learns that the real villains of the film are the wealthy business power couple Darwin and Minerva Mayflower. These two play a pair of cartoonishly over-the-top villains straight out of Rocky and Bullwinkle. They're darling. Wonderful. Adorable. They're obsessed with the Leonardo da Vinci invention that turns lead into gold via alchemy. The Mayflowers want to crash the world economy with this wave of alchemical gold. Okay, but I think I'd also be pretty excited if I had an actual alchemy machine. Right? Yeah, that's fair. The second piece of the puzzle is in a book currently held by the Vatican. A codex, as it were, right? Exactly. When Hudson skips over to Rome, he meets a secret agent nun. <laughs> secret agent, agent nun. The nun is played by Andy McDowell, who you probably know as the love interest in Groundhog Day. And boy, if you thought she had chemistry with Bill Murray, you'll still think that. She's <laughs> technically yeah. the love interest here, but she has zero on-screen chemistry with Bruce Willis. Our secret agent nun knows who Hudson Hawk is and what he's here for, because she's secretly in contact with a team of CIA agents that are codenamed after candy bars. Those same agents are secretly working with the Mayflowers, because obviously this cartoonish heist movie needed nesting dolls of double crosses. Yeah, the more complicated it is, the better it is. Hudson steals the Da Vinci book, the secret agent nun steals it back from him, and then the CIA steals it back from her. Uh, yeah, that, that, that tracks. Yo, dog. Hudson Hawk, Tommy Five Tones, and the secret agent nun all sit down and compare notes and decide they've had enough of this. Hudson and Tommy fake a gunfight to escape with the nun. Unfortunately, the candy bar agents manage to steal the final piece of the alchemy machine without Hudson, and they kidnap the secret agent nun because they need help putting it together. Two of the agents stay behind to kill Hudson and Tommy in typical Dr. Evil fashion. 
but the burglars kill the agents and escape to Da Vinci's castle for a final face-off with the Mayflowers and the remaining candy bars. Face off. Riveting. <laughs> Better acting than this. Minerva Mayflower saves them some time and kills the last two candy bar agents herself because she's cartoonishly evil and the movie hadn't thought of a better way to get rid of them. And it's brilliant, though. Tommy faces off against Darwin Mayflower and his butler, and for his trouble, Tommy gets a free ride in a flaming limousine down the side of a mountain. That's how I always thought I'd go. (laughs) Hudson successfully sabotages the alchemy machine, which explodes and kills the Mayflowers. Then Hudson and the nun escape on one of Leonardo da Vinci's original hang gliders. Finally safe, the duo is reunited with Tommy Five Tones, who somehow survived a 500-foot drop in a flaming limousine thanks to airbags and a sprinkler. Okay, Dave. Honestly, I agree with the entire synopsis. You left out one very important part of the film, though. At the very, very beginning, we get Leonardo da Vinci himself making all of his inventions essentially in one day. Yeah, he was he was tying up a lot of loose ends that day. It's like, well, yeah, we yeah. got a four day weekend coming up, guys. So uh, let's <laughs> get Vinci's it in. Da a busy man. Yeah, we had the alchemy machine. We had the Mona Lisa, which he painted Half- everything but the mouse. But- we actually find out why the Mona Lisa has her famous enigmatic smile. It's because her teeth are jacked. <laughs> jacked. <laughs> I think that's supposed to be the first joke of this comedy, actually. But if I were to criticize you, <clears throat> little <laughs> criticism, like the movie, you did not focus enough on Minerva. No, I really didn't. Minerva and Darwin Mayflower, the two main villains of this, are absolutely delightful. Yeah, they're they're wiry characters that are well-dressed. You know, Darwin wears a three-piece suit. Minerva's always in these expensive designer dresses. And they really exude that, like, wealthy, evil megalomania. It's fucking fantastic. Minerva is played by Sandra Bernhardt, who is absolutely flawless in this fucking role. She kills it. She's having so much fun. She has the right amount of fun in camp, just enough to take it seriously. She does incredible. And she has the best fucking lines in the movie. I mean, they couldn't have cast a better person to play that role. Like, no. If if you want to be a villain, like that's how you be a hot villain, right there. One of the things that I really loved was when she's interrogating Bruce Willis, and she leans into him, and then bites onto his ear, and then peels back and grabs his face like he's a chubby little six year old, <laughs> and just like talks fucking disparagingly to him. It's fucking beautiful. I mean, I feel like you're all really sleeping on Darwin Mayflower, her counterpart in this, played by Richard E. Grant. I, I will grant that he doesn't go quite as big with it, but I think he was the perfect foil to Sandra's character in this. Like okay. She yes. needed somebody just a step back, <laughs> and the two of them absolutely chew through every bit of scenery around them. Absolutely. They have incredible chemistry together. They are I mean, on the same vibe. He sold me at... Yeah, I'm the villain. (laughs) When the villain of the film just announces he's the villain, you gotta respect that. You do. Those two actors, Richard and Sandra, actually became such good friends on this that they are friends to this day and stay in contact. I absolutely adore that. I know. (laughs) They're friends in real life. 
<laughs> it's so sweet. Dave, you're right. I do love how cartoonishly evil Darwin is. And we get the speeches of him about how he made his first billion at 19. And so he just, he runs out of goals, right? And he's motivated to take over the world, world domination, because he needs to have goals to pursue because he's so rich and successful and bored. World domination and world destruction. Well, you know, you got to have a little chaos with your domination, right. right? Yeah, no, I mean, like, don't short sell him. He also wants to watch it burn down, too. Right, but he's <laughs> using that chaos. Like, it's I'm just going to make chaos and sit back and watch, and then I'm going to rule everything because I have all the fucking gold, motherfuckers. And he's not lazy. Like, he when he captures one of the many times he captures Bruce Willis, <laughs> and Bruce Willis isn't giving him the information he wants, Darwin threatens him with... I'll kill your friends, I'll kill your family, and the bitch you took to prom. <laughs> so specific. Okay. Well, I'm I, say. It's like when your mom would like pepper in crazy shit in her threats. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait, like you've obviously put some thought into this, actually. This isn't just a <laughs> run of the mill threat. Like oh, this is real Absolutely. It's just your first time saying it out loud. One of his later rants in the movie when he's in full supervillain mode is if Da Vinci was alive today, he'd be eating microwave sushi naked in the back of a Cadillac with the both of us. That is so specific. Yes. That's not just I'm angry and I'm putting it out into the world. This is a picture that I'm going to paint in your brain. Right. Yeah. He spent some time crafting that. It is a beautiful work of art. You know, I almost wish that we would have gotten a little bit more of their evil counsel, right? Because Minerva and Darwin have a giant evil table in the shape of an M, and they have various caricatures sitting around the table. Right, there's and a little kid. Yeah, yeah one of them. One of them's a kid. <laughs> is sitting on it in a fucking beautiful flowing dress with a fucking Walkman on, screaming, I've got the power. <laughs> but out of time power. and off key and yeah. out of, like. <laughs> I've got the power. And no one's saying anything. Like, she's just, you know, no. she's doing her own thing. Uh, both of the Mayflowers enjoy randomly slapping people around them, including <laughs> their own health. Yes. I also feel that way. And one day I'll be rich enough I can do it. I feel That's like my goal. I was reading a book that tells me to write down my goals. <laughs> Doing that. One day to be rich enough where I can slap people. It's just not a big deal. Casey, is Minerva Mayflower your spirit animal? Maybe a little. <laughs> I love the introduction when they go to the auction house when they're selling the Da Vinci horsey. And they're like... <laughs> The bid is $20 million or something like that. And Darwin walks in and bids $100 million. And everyone's like, <laughs> oh, my God, oh, my God. And then all of a sudden, enters stage left. Minerva comes in with 101. <laughs> Don't hate me, baby. And just fucking nails it. It's so over the top. It's. Oh, it was one of the most enjoyable parts of the film. They absolutely light up the screen when they're together. 
it's made clear that pretty much everybody in the room knows who both of them are. So that's just them busting in and spending an extra <laughs> million on top of the hundred they already did as a flex. <laughs> yeah, that is that is fucking big nut money walking in. I gotta be honest, there are a lot of villains in this movie, and I actually really like almost all of them. There's a few that miss, but between the Mayflowers, the CIA candy bar agents are absolutely <laughs> delightful. The hair, the Including their handler, Kaplan. Kaplan is a yeah. fucking gem. Uh, yeah, we've got our big dumb ox character, Butterfinger, <laughs> who is just so lovable up until a unfortunate rape joke. But then he reads a Dr. Seuss joke. (laughs) Yeah, just slide right over. Yeah. First off, is he really lovable? Secondly. Yes, of course. He's Zangief from Street Fighter. Is that really Zangief? Yes. Yes. You didn't get that, like, dumb fatherly vibe from him? Like, he'll protect me in a bar fight. (laughs) No. Hold on, hold on. Jay, I need your second. What was the second argument? The rape joke comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah, <laughs> Completely. It, it does not fit the tone at all. No. At all. <laughs> and I, then like, they my just switch gears. Fell open when it came out. I was like, oh. <laughs> what? It's that kind of movie. Yeah. yeah. And then it's immediately followed by him reading a Dr. Seuss book out loud. <laughs> okay. So. But- also, remember that this isn't your typical rape joke. This is him saying, should I rape Bruce Willis? Well, while we're talking about the agents, we have to mention Kit Kat, played by oh, David yes. Caruso from CSI Miami. Oh, that's where <laughs> I knew him from. Yeah, he does he's not, so young. Yeah, he communicates only via printed business cards that just conveniently have whatever he needs to say on them. <laughs> he randomly dresses up as other characters in the scene. Yes. And mimics them. Yes. Like, yeah. Perfectly. Like, he's just the most surreal mime I have ever seen in my life. When, we, when he first comes into the movie, he descends from a bridge on a rope and hands Bruce Willis a business card that says, my name is Kit Kat. This is not a dream. That's fucking <laughs> art. I don't even know how to process that information. Someday I want to grow up to be Kit Kat. <laughs> At one point, he dresses up as Bruce Willis, including putting a fake wound where Bruce Willis's character is wounded, and then stands behind him and mimics him until Bruce Willis accidentally elbows him to find out that Kit Kat is standing there. Yeah. At one point, he dresses up as Andy McDowell in her ball gown. <laughs> and, and, a wig. and a wig. And a wig. Best and scene. at no point does the movie explain why he's doing this. <laughs> No. Okay, good. Because I thought maybe I missed something. I was like, I did get up to get ice cream for a second, but no, I just put the rest of the carton in, so it didn't. There's take zero that long. explanation. The one time that it makes sense is when he dresses up as a statue to hide in the room, like it's a fucking Looney Tune sketch. Which, to be fair, they did a great job with. So good. <laughs> it is, right. It's so and good. Kudos to their makeup team because he actually looked a lot like a statue. It was yeah. Really well yeah. Done. They did, yeah. But all the rest of the time, it's supposed to be like a spy move, but it just makes him stand out so much more. It is beautiful camp. I really think Kit Kat is well done. And and in fact, in the scene where he's a statue is the scene that he ends up dying in. And he's dying. 
he fucking reaches and grabs a card and gives it to Annie McDowell. And it said, I always liked you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love you, Kit Kat. He was always nice to him. He also doesn't have a store of these. He just always has the business card on hand that says what he needs. No, 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 he does. Because when he gets stabbed as the statue, like 50 cards come out of his, he lands in a pile of his own cards. And he just picked one up, and it was the, I always liked you. Oh, I always liked you, too, (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Fucking beautiful. I love it. Okay. Are we putting Bruce Willis in the good pile or the bad pile? (laughs) Okay. Oh, man. Bruce's performance in this is not good. You know, here's the problem. I think we may have all been tainted by the fact that Bruce Willis is Bruce Willis in a film. Like, no matter yeah. his character, Bruce Willis is Bruce Willis. So, I feel like if they, if he could have been a little bit more campy, it would have worked. But then we've seen Bruce Willis actually do good shit, and we come back and watch Bruce Willis do bad shit, and it's just mm. like, uh there, there are lines that he delivers that are just awkward, and, and yeah. some of the worst parts of the movie. And it's not like... Wow, was that the worst? No, it's not like wow, was that the best take? It was like wow, that's the take you decided to go with. Ah, I look. There's some necessary background that we need to have for this conversation because yeah. it doesn't make sense that he's this bad at being Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk is Bruce Willis's first and final writing credit. He's credited for writing the story on this. When I said it's a fanfic based on his own song, I wasn't kidding. He wrote a song called Hudson Hawk with his buddy Robert Kraft that is about a robber who names himself after this cold wind blowing off a river. And then they made a movie based off of that song. So this is a vanity project for him. He just came off Die Hard 2. He's testing through the roof on Bonfire of the Vanities. He's got clout right now, and he pushed it all around the place to make this. That's really sad, actually. (laughs) Right. Actually, the real cringe is how they met. Uh, Robert Kraft was playing a show in Greenwich Village, and during the middle of one of his songs, somebody in the audience started playing along with him on a harmonica. (laughs) <laughs> that yes. seems rude and that was yes. Bruce Willis and that was Bruce Willis <laughs> and instead of telling the guy to shut the fuck up because they didn't pay to hear you they became friends and started writing songs together wow that's a really nice guy what's his name Robert Kraft Bruce Willis is famously kind of a dick to work with on sets and I'm pretty sure this movie is the very first example we got of that how so Kevin Smith told a story about the set of Die Hard 4 where Bruce Willis got into an argument with the director over what he wanted to do in the next scene. And when the director told him no, Bruce Willis's response was, let me ask you, who's your second choice to play John McClane? Which, (laughs) okay, that's a dick move, but also, yeah. (laughs) Wow. You kind of gotta. Yeah, he's apparently famously a, a dick to interviewers. He's a dick to interviewers. He's a dick on sets. He doesn't really like working anymore. And I think that's what happened. Well, I don't I don't think I know that's what happened here because Robert E. Kraft actually wrote about it in his autobiography. There's a whole chapter dedicated to Hudson Hawk where they actually sent in somebody from the studio whose job was just to tell Bruce that he can't do this shit. And the studio (laughs) guy didn't have the balls to do anything and just went back. 
So Bruce continued walking all over the director and made this abomination. I'm glad you chose to describe it as an abomination, Dave, because... It very much is. We are all over the place in this film. It's a lot. It's like riding in a shitty car with a clutch going out while you're slightly <laughs> having a seizure from the legs down. And uh, it, it, I would be remiss to say that there were no good parts of this movie. Okay, Casey, but tell me, what didn't you like? What, what are your gripes here? Oh, my God. Some of the jokes fell so fucking flat. It was too much Bruce Willis sometimes, and it was too much. What's his best friend's name? Tommy Five Tones. Tommy Five Tones. Played by Danny Aiello, who I think could have been really good with somebody else to pair up with. Yeah. Yeah. And there were times him and Bruce actually played off of each other, but it was like three times, and the rest of it didn't click. So he, I didn't feel as aggressive when he was on the screen, so that was helpful. I still felt aggressive, though, but it was it was less. I know Thank you didn't you. like it, Casey. I love them singing lounge music while they commit crimes. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I had so much fun with those sequences. Bruce Willis paid a bunch of money to make a movie where he gets to muck or no muck bangs the eating thing. Nora bong at you. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, are you OK? I pictured Bruce Willis mukbang and it's not. <laughs> Somebody make that site. BruceWillisMukbang.com. You know what? Baywatch made me really want to feed the rock and Zach Efron. I'll feed you, Bruce. Just Casey in a Bruce good. Willis mask with a hole cut out. Shove I'm going to hate myself in the morning. Every I once in a gonna... while, something goes down the wrong way, and she's got to shake it out like a pick out of a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be there with the Mona Lisa, but with the mouth cut out. Oh, oh you talking. can do narration in the background. Perfect. Perfect. No, but it just, like, okay, you made a movie, a heist movie, that also featured celebrity karaoke. I didn't want that. <laughs> I didn't. That's not what I ordered. It's That's a framing device. It's fun. <laughs> Is it? Towards the third ending of the film, Tommy's in a flaming limousine that goes off of a cliff and explodes, clearly dying. <laughs> but somehow he shows up again at the fifth ending of the film, riding a fucking <laughs> horse, going like, I can't believe it. How are you still alive? Oh, they had airbags. Yeah, you were in the back of the limo. They don't have fucking airbags in the back of a limo. <laughs> Sorry, no. it's 1991. Yeah. And then it exploded, but... but they it had, had the sprinkler system in the back of the limo. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, even if you were getting power washed from 100 different angles, it's not going to... It's a force. There's a force with an explosion. So what about the crushing part and the falling off a fucking cliff? I don't know. <laughs> Even the movie doesn't believe it because Bruce Willis looks to camera and goes, yeah, that's probably what happened. Like, he could just, <laughs> I jumped out at the last second. Can you believe it? I can believe that more than this other thing. Right. No. no. I don't, don't go, uh-huh. And it's, no. No, Bruce. Shame on you. Shame on you. Also, why were there so fucking many characters in this film? Hudson Hawk has, like, 
nine different bad guys. Oh, it has plots on plots on plots, man. It does not stop introducing shit. There's more twists and turns than a BDSM tickle torture. Yeah. First. (laughs) Jesus. First, it's the Mario Brothers Mafia who are secretly working for the butler who is secretly working with the CIA, who are both secretly employed by the Mayflowers. But the CIA agents are betraying the Mayflowers to the secret agent none, but they're actually triple crossing the secret agent none. To really be working for the Mayflowers. Oh, wait. And And Tommy's also double crossing Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis. But then he triple crosses back. So we wait. We actually have two triple crosses in this movie. Yeah, oh, because shit. Andy McDowell triple crosses the church. And well And God by extension. <laughs> and the CIA is using Andy McDowell and the Vatican to keep Hudson away from the Mayflowers. But they're keeping them away from the Mayflowers as well. Christ. It says something that I've watched this movie twice in the last week to prep for this, and I'm still trying to unravel all this fucking plot. (laughs) It's not good. You have dirty. It starts with dirty cops and then the gangsters, then CIA agents, then billionaires, then nuns, and then the BFF double cross. It's the last Oh, yeah. There was a dirty parole officer at the start of it. Yeah. You've got to follow that trail all the way up. It starts with local elections, David. I want to point out that Sylvester Stallone's little brother is in this. Frank Stallone, yeah. Sure. There's a joke aimed at Sly by Bruce Willis. He says instructions that even your brother could follow. And sure, maybe it's talking about his Mario brother, which is included in the Nintendo references in the movie. But it could also be talking about Sly. I don't know. Yeah, there's a bunch of Nintendo jokes in this movie, and I don't know if those are supposed to be some weird cross-promotion with the Nintendo game for the movie. You cut out, Dave. Cross-promotion? There's a bunch of Nintendo games in this movie. I don't know if they're supposed to be a cross-promotion for the Nintendo game based on the movie, which also wasn't based on the movie. They sold the rights before the movie was made, and the game was made without ever seeing the movie, so they're only vaguely related. Oh, seriously? What is the game about? Uh, it's three heists, well, three robberies where you basically jump over blocks and throw tennis balls at security guards to knock them out. Okay, so at least it's like a heist game and it's not like, ah, Dr. Mario, but with different I mean, kind colors. kind of. It's a heist game in so much as an NES could. I don't, Frank Stallone did the most, well, I don't want to claim the most, but one of the most annoying things in the film of the second time that Hudson Hawk tries to drink cappuccino sitting at a bar he half owns, he gets the cup almost to his lip, and Frank Stallone shoots the cup out of his hand, breaking it in the middle of a yuppie bar. Yeah, with nobody fucking and says nobody anything. nobody reacts. Nobody yeah. reacts. Just They're all like, too coked out for that. Okay, but later when Tommy <laughs> busts a wine bottle over one of his henchmen's head... Everybody like kind of freaks. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit's getting real over here. You didn't notice the fucking gun? <laughs> but the wine bottle's taboo. Like, I see bottles get broken in local bars all the time. I'm going to be no. more upset about a gun. You know, I live in America. I see guns on a regular basis. But if you break a fucking bottle of wine, god damn you. <laughs> That's what the wasteful. fuck are you thinking? Dave, are there any scenes in this film that just 
rub I mean, you the wrong way and as opposed to the right way. Case aside from the fucking awkward rape joke. Oh, yeah, that one. That's a hard stop on the film. Yeah, that was that was cringy. That was a hard fucking stop. That was not good. The first time I watched this to prep, I had long forgotten about that joke. So I'm just sitting on my couch, kind of enjoying myself. I actually shouted out loud, Whoa, Hudson! <laughs> <laughs> just wasn't you know, expecting it. I, I also wasn't expecting it, but I'm going to say what made me feel worse was the fight scene between Hudson Hawk and the CIA spook at the end of it, where he's is punching Hudson Hawk back and forth like a metronome, like punch, kick, punch, kick. So he's standing up, he's bent over. He's standing up, he's bent over. And then he stops, and Hudson Hawk keeps going for way too fucking long. Yeah, How do you turn too. this thing up? It's like oh, pro wrestling. God. What, you, stick to one thing you're trying to, maybe two at the most you're trying to make this movie as. It can't be the Italian job. It and Looney Tunes and Lucky Number Eleven, also a Bruce Willis <laughs> film. I also fucking hate that movie. Because you're me. tasteless. You're yeah, you're awful. Oh God, I I will take that back to my elevator pitch. The annoying kid in school who would get beat up for assuming the identity of a movie character. Like remember those kids that watched The Mask and then The Mask became their fucking life and they came to school as The Mask for like, I don't know, six fucking months straight. Time stretched on forever back then. Who knows? It was just one of those where I'm like, you are being fucking insane right now. Please stop. And that scene ends and the CIA agent dies when Hudson tries to pick up his hat just as the CIA agent kicks him so he flies off the side of the castle so he flies off the side of the castle doesn't fit the rest of the movie at all the tone's weird they add in cartoon sound effects to it it's so fucking confusing and that's they oh yeah how he dies. that's not how he dies he rides on the top oh, of the god limo yeah that's right the then he, he falls goes, in the limo what about my pension yeah those are his, those are his last words that's such a terrible fucking line <laughs> <laughs> One of the other physically painful moments for me in Hudson Hawk was when Almond Joy blow darts a paralyzing agent into Bruce Willis and Tommy's neck, paralyzing them from the neck down. They can still move their head, okay? Um, Later, after they're flipped out of a couch onto a floor, Andy McDowell also joins the crew. It's when Almond Joy leans down to finish off Bruce Willis, I guess, and puts her blow dart gun right up to his mouth. So when she opens her mouth, he just blows the dart back into her throat, killing her, paralyzing her. I'm not well, really sure. Well, it paralyzes paralyzed. her. It paralyzes her. There's a yeah. bomb attached That's... to Snickers, which blows up the apartment. And the idea of getting a blow dart reverse down the throat is so repulsive to me. Like, I won't even let Jay in the same room as me if I'm cleaning my ears because I'm like, you're going to bumble into my fucking arm and I'm going to shove this fucking shove into it, my brain yeah. and kill myself. Uh, oh, it hurts. It's the See, perfect crime. I got to push back on that. I love that scene, and I even know for a fact that blowguns don't work that way. They can't just blow it back <laughs> in her mouth. I don't care. It was funny, and I enjoyed it. <laughs> and then when she's I paralyzed, they man. just blow her over by breathing on her. <laughs> 
It's so dumb, and I love it. Well, and right before that, every time that every one of them got paralyzed, they would just immediately sit down next to the other person, and then our favorite super secret spy nun comes in, and she holds out a gun, and they know that a nun's not going to shoot someone, so they paralyze her, and she just sits down right next to Bruce Willis after being paralyzed. Down. I also want to poke out, they were supposed to be paralyzed, so they were like holding the same position really poorly. <laughs> you want to poke out? Bruce Willis's arm was up. His right arm was up like he was holding a waitress tray. And then when he went off the couch, his arm was down. But Tommy kept his arm up. Continuity error? I think so. I think if you think that they're worried about that continuity error. I'm a glutton for details. I do also need to point out that they didn't freeze in those positions just because the poison was in their system. Snickers posed to them because he thought it was funny. I didn't see that. And I support that. that entirely. I missed that. How did I miss that? Oh, yeah. When they first fall back onto the couch, Snickers moves their arms up into the hoity-toity poses they're in. And then Butterfinger laughs at them about it. It's great. Oh, <laughs> how do you I not really love these guys? That. so good. Oh, how do you not enjoy that? That was amazing. Butterfinger really did bring a lot of joy to this film, minus the whole rape joke thing. Yeah, minus that. I, I mean, yeah, he went a little far. Come but on, they, come on, they sold it by him. Better than that, Zinky. No, he's not. They sold it by the fact that he's kind of dumb. So, like, you know, you ha- we all have that dumb friend that just says something. And you're like, oh shit. Tommy shoots a grenade through the window of the room that they're standing in. And the CIA dude says, did you hear something? And after the window breaks and the thing explodes, Butterfinger goes, yeah, I think I, think I, I heard, heard something. something. I, think I, I heard, heard something, <laughs> boss. Yeah, it was a fucking grenade, but yeah. Honestly, his last scene was the best, though. When he walks into the room and Minerva just shoots him four times in the chest with a crossbow, super fucking crossbow launcher. And he walks back out of the room and closes the door and turns back and goes... It doesn't look good. I think we've been double-crossed. <laughs> yes. You know what? I'm going to also say cringeworthy moment when Bruce Willis is in a chase scene in an ambulance and then is on the gurney riding outside of the ambulance holding <laughs> on by a sheet and then oh, also no, no, that was not lets cringe. go of that and then keeps up with the ambulance for several miles until they get to a parking lot. There's a moment where Bruce Willis grabs a like a group of vials and throws them into a guy, and it's all needles that, like, jab into the... Okay, I'm not a medical professional, but I'm pretty sure you guys don't store syringes pointy side up with no guards. I just Yeah, that seems like a bad idea. Call it a feeling. We're not even, like, in the restaurant business, we're not even allowed to have our knives a certain way. I don't think you're going to leave fucking fun syringes around for everybody to just accidentally <laughs> poke themselves with. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I, okay, but I kind of like other that scene because it, it is ridiculous. Right, like obviously they don't store them that way, but it's a cool shot, so I'm okay with it. I don't like it. Bruce Willis riding a fucking gurney on the Brooklyn Bridge, passing cars is a riot. We've been talking about it enough. We've hit on the cringe. We've hit on some of the diamonds in the rough. We even talked a bit about the history of it. But the one thing that we still need to talk about, Jay, let's start with you. 1991 Hudson Hawk, the film that killed TriStar Pictures. Would you watch it again? Man, I had so much nostalgia with the TriStar logo. 
and I, it I did. killed I a winged thought. horse. Yeah, it killed what? a winged horse. <laughs> Whatever happened to TriStar? It oh, became Taco Bell all. meat. Yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. I, I, I so I, I, I aggressively texted Dave the f- as soon as I started watching this because I was like, dude, this movie fucking sucks. I don't know what I'm watching. It's awful. It's cringy. You're trying to be the three. You're trying to be the three stooges, and you're just falling flat. And then at some point, the Darwin and Minerva show takes over, and the surreal Kit Kat and the strange interaction of we didn't even talk about Kaplan, the boss of the CIA agents. He's a gem. He leans so far into this role, he's fucking falling through the floor. And and really, it the camp grows and grows, and it just becomes so ridiculously absurd that I found myself having more fun than I wanted to. So, yeah, I think I'm going to watch Hudson Hawk again. Uh, Casey, what about you? 1991's Hudson Hawk. Would you watch it again? What is my face doing right now? Retreating Gilbert on Godfrey. Itself. Gilbert Godfrey <laughs> yeah, face. That's what that is. That's, that's I had it. to watch this twice, which is enough for a lifetime. There were some enjoyable parts. The rare occasion Bruce Willis campiness pays off, but not enough to sit through the whole film a third time. So, no, I would not watch Hudson Hawk Aww. again. It's going to be a no for me, dog. Sorry. Juice? I don't know. What did, you seem to be genuinely sad I'd say that. What are you feeling, Hudson Hawk? Would you watch it again? I am genuinely sad you would say that, Casey. Uh, indeed. Jay, I agree with you. I started this movie. I was mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is this? This is fucking weird. And then it just started rolling. And it didn't fucking stop. It kept going. And they didn't give a fuck. They literally, it was like every time you there was a stop, it was just to someone throw a middle finger to the camera and then keep fucking rolling. I had so much fun with this movie. I had never seen it before. This was my first watch. So, yeah, I have to give it another watch. And I would even say after that, I would sit down and watch it again for a third time. So, Dave, you brought this, man. I had fond memories of renting this on VHS way back in the day. But I really didn't remember it that well. So I wasn't sure what I was coming into. But I've mentioned before, one of the most important things for me in a great bad movie, like true shitty cinema, is they have to be trying to make a good movie. It doesn't (laughs) count if you're in on the joke. And Hudson Hawk really tried to make a good movie. And it really failed at it. It's a car wreck of a film. And you know what? A car wreck is not funny. And when three more cars pile into them, it's not funny. But somewhere around car 27, man, it's 17 (laughs) minutes later and they keep just slamming in. You gotta start laughing at it. So despite all of the bad of it, and there's a lot of bad of it, the few gems like Kit Kat are just so good that I absolutely have to come back to it again. So yes, I'm definitely gonna watch Hudson Hawk again. Yeah! I'm on Lonely Island. You are on Lonely Island, Casey. Well, Cinemites, that makes this our verdict. Three out of four of us are going to sit down and watch Hudson Hawk again. Casey, this is a rare experience for you. You are on Lonely Island this week. How are you feeling? 
I feel like Henry Fonda and 12 Angry Men. And if you guys were in this fucking purple sweat lodge like I was up here, I could probably convince <laughs> you of just about anything because I'm losing my goddamn mind. It's over 90 degrees. Love it. I it's, I feel bad, but I just don't want to do it again. I'd watch a super cut. That's fair. I guess I'm alone in Casey's corner this week. Next week, though, Juice, it's a new week. So you're wrapping up the month for us next week. Raspberry Beret, what are you bringing? I'm bringing something that as a kid, not even a kid, as a late 20-year-old, I really enjoyed and I wanted to be good. I'm scared. It, it is M. Night Shalamanoms. Shlamadama-ding-dong? Shlamadama-ding-dong. Avatar, The Last Airbender. Don't Ooh. ruin this. Jay and I just watched this series. We never we watched it. it. Oh, we loved it. We it's full great. On, full it's on loved so it. good. I watched it again. This was probably my third watch, too, because thank wow. you, Netflix. Go that ahead and means sponsor a us. Lot. Please. Juice, have you watched Avatar, the film? Yes, I saw this in theaters. Oh. Ew. Yeah, I wow. did. Well, I can't wait to have my new fucking fandom destroyed. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Let me give an actual thanks a lot to everybody listening. Thank you, guys. Do you have a shitty movie you want to torture us with? Hit us up on Facebook, sh.ttycinema. Do you want to yell at Jay? Hit him up on Twitter at Bad Movies, Bad People, and that's PPL. PPL. Do you want to help us not sound like a can on a rope? Check out Patreon, Shitty Cinema, close what you can. And now let's turn out the lights, grab some skateboards, <laughs> and sing loudly while we're trying to be quiet. Ah, uh, baby, we're gonna steal your cash. <laughs>